to Potter Revisited, episode 39. I'm Tori. And I'm Shay. Today we are covering chapter 2 of Prisoner of Azkaban, Aunt Marge's Big Mistake. Or, as we like to call it, Inflated Ego. Yeah, so opening up with this chapter, we have Harry, you know, describing his life the Dursley still, and the one thing he notes is that when Dudley returned home from school, that they got a TV to put in the kitchen because he doesn't want to move from the kitchen into the living room to watch TV. I mean, I think that only makes sense to me insofar as like they're not allowed to eat in the living room. Like I can totally picture Petunia as one of those like moms who like the formal living room is for company. We have to keep it clean. Like, you know, those little plastic runners people used to have on their thick, fluffy carpets to like keep the like indents from like chairs and tables. Like she seems like that kind of lady. Oh, yeah. And since like Dudley likes to always have snacks available, which honestly is respectable. I uh, I guess like in order to be allowed to eat and watch TV and food in the living room wasn't an option. TV in the kitchen kind of makes sense as like the solution. Yeah, I also make think it's kind of like uh, just the way British houses are uh, set up because us growing up, we mostly grew up with open concept kind of living. Open concept, yeah. I mean, your your dining room was all between your kitchen and your living room, but like there were no walls there. So you could still see the TV. We didn't have a lot of doors to it. Most of my house growing up was open, uh, like, concept. But I think for Britain, since the, all of the houses are older, I think they're very much separated into, like, the kitchen is its own separate room, the living room is its own separate room. Like, everything's separated. But nowadays, everything's just kind of, like, all open. I can also see Petunia as, like, a watching the Home and Garden channel while she's cooking. Like, I could totally see her watching, like, a Julia Childs or something and, like, yep. following along with the recipe. Yeah. <laughs> getting inspiration so it's for Dudley I think it's also supposed to show like how um how they parent Dudley versus how they I guess they don't really parent Harry but how they treat Harry compared to Dudley because they just kind of go into any whim Dudley wants he gets yeah they very much have blinders on but uh we while on the television there's a news report and we find out that an escaped convict called Sirius Black is on the loose which is our first kind of like foreshadowing into what's going to be happening in the rest of this book. And the fact that like Petunia points out, it's odd they don't mention what prison he escaped from or where, what area that was in. So you can have a better idea and be prepared is a good hint that like it wasn't a muggle prison. So like, even if they said, oh, he escaped from like, I don't know, um, Naz Alcatraz or whatever, you can't, they can't say what prison it was because it's not what muggles are allowed to know about. Yeah, it's also kind of scary that Uncle Vernon's just kind of like, we know that he's very upper middle class and he hates like people who he uses below him like vagrants is what I think he calls serious black yeah they're like oh he looks like a criminal look how dirty he is yeah and it's like and isn't that his mugshot like who looks good in their mugshot most people don't and he's like he's like we should be like hanging these people and he refers definitely it's like you get kind of like reading as an adult you kind of feel like the these people he feels like they are like just below him and stuff yeah He's an asshole. Yeah. He doesn't even have details of what Sirius's crimes are. So it's not like he's like, we should hang these people. Like, what if he just like stole a car and sold the parts to like pay for his family's medical bills? Or like, like there are, you know, death penalty immediately because this guy is uncleanly looking basically is what Vernon wants. Yeah, you definitely get the impression that like, yeah, he just thinks that he's above these people and he doesn't just use people and like vagrants and stuff. Like, yeah, he doesn't know what Sirius has done, only that he's like, and he's escaped and it's just like very kind of concerning that like, like this is how he views things like I can't even remember when hanging was like abolished in Britain and stuff but I know like we don't have the death penalty here in Canada and it's just kind of like oh no 
it's a bit alarming to hear, but there's also like talk about corporal punishment a lot in this chapter too, which is something like we didn't experience. So yeah, just reading as an adult, just a lot of things that you kind of be like, oh, that's kind of concerning. Just the violence in this chapter itself. Yeah, it's a... Uh... I sure you, you go to a school where they beat you a lot. What? Like, Well, moving into the, the main um, issue in this chapter is that Burden's sister, Aunt Marge, is coming to visit. And Harry does not have great experiences with Aunt Marge. And she comes off as like this lady that like is just so awful. Harry describes a few incidences the last time she came. And there was one incident where uh, she whacked him with a cane. So he'd stop playing a birthday game at Dudley's birthday party. For a Christmas one year, she gave him dog biscuits, which I think with like everything kind of like views that she sees Harry not as human, but like as an animal that Uncle Vernon and, and Aunt Petunia just have to like keep. Yeah. Like, she's just very vile. And yeah, her dog chased Harry up a tree and she kept him up there for like hours. She wouldn't bring it back. So Harry's up there till midnight when he was like 10. And it's just like, I get like when you feel like, relatives and stuff that are terrible usually like they're they're the kind of like it's under a facade where they won't like outwardly treat you bad but it's always kind of like passive aggressive or kind of like fake niceties she's just like actually like outwardly horrible yeah and harry talks about the difference between the way marge treats him and the way the dursleys treat him like the Mer the dursleys hate him and just like they don't want him around they want him to be invisible as much as possible but like marge shows true signs of being like a sadist like she wants to have harry there so she can abuse him so she can bully him so she can hurt him also knowing that he's helpless and there's nothing he can do to defend himself like she seeks out and enjoys his suffering so much yeah it's like a game to her like because like what he says is like the jerseys don't like him but they like have they've kind of like made their peace with it and like as long as they he doesn't bother them like they, they just put up with him and he prefers that which is kind of sad but Aunt Marge is like, Vernon tries to get him, him to like leave a couple times in this chapter and Marge just insists that Harry's there just so she can abuse him, like in front of him, basically goading him the whole chapter. And it's it's really hard to read this again. Yeah, it's, it makes me angry. Like, I think there's this certain kind of bad guy that is harder to read and feels worse. And I think like with characters who do bad things, like the classic villains like Voldemort, you don't have to write a lot to say, like, he killed someone, that's obviously bad. Oh, they torture people, that's bad. But when you write a character who's, like, psychologically bad or, like, bad through their, like, actual written, like, words and what they say, you sort of get more of the details of it. So it hits me a lot harder, I find. Like, the type of bad guy that, like, an Umbridge and an Aunt Marge are is so different because you get the little details of each line they say and how it digs in and, like, hurts people slowly like the details of the things she say says make her so hateable and you get so much detail of it it's really off-putting like it's 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 written very well because she's so hateable but it's almost written so much better than like the actual action sequences later in books that it's like people like Umbridge and her are the most hated characters even though they don't actually physically torture or murder anyone yeah just because their actions are just so despicable yeah 
deplorable. Harry finds out Aunt Marge is coming, and Harry finds out that Uncle Vernon has told Aunt Marge that he sent him basically to, like, an institution or asylum, which I thought was very weird. No, it's not an institution or asylum. It's a it, it's a school for criminally unstable youth. So it's more of like a, like one of those camps people send troubled teens to, or maybe like a step before prison, like you're too young for prison, we'll send you to this school. Almost like juvie? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I just, the way they said, he says institution makes me think asylum, and I'm just thinking that if they're criminals, or supposed to be criminals, or they could be criminals, I find it odd that the school, like, lets them out for summer holidays. I just feel like he could have picked, like, a different school. I mean, now that makes sense to me because it's the answer Marge would enjoy the most. But clearly they like to kiss Marge's ass. They're like, okay, we have to explain why Harry's gone away. School is like a legal thing. You have to send your kids to school. So what school sounds the worst? So Marge will be the most entertained by it. And like, also they think Harry's a good for nothing criminal troublemaker. So like, it's the school they would probably want to send him to if he wasn't at Hogwarts. So it makes sense. And I can see it as a thing. Like during the year, a lot of people like in shows and books threaten to send their kids to boarding school. So this is just like a one-up boarding school where like, instead of like, Getting to ride horses as a recreational activity, you get mercilessly abused, you know? Almost like like a military school, I think, is always, like, the threat in movies. Yeah, like those awful reform schools that, like, Dr. Phil always tries to send troubled teens to, where they just, like, abuse you mercilessly. Yeah, psychologically abuse you. Yeah. But Harry has this this idea to blackmail Uncle Vernon. Into signing his Hogsmeade letter, yeah. Harry's smarter. He'd be just like, the Druzes are never going to sign this. I should just forge his signature and be done with it. Yeah, but at least there's a little bit of the Slytherin in him that you can see in this moment where he's like, this is going to be terrible, but they want something from me. How often do they want something from me? This is one of my only opportunities to try and get something I want from them. Yeah, so this is kind of where we see Harry kind of like taking advantage of what the Dursleys want and like using it to his advantage. Yeah, I think he could have been smarter about it, for sure, like you said, forging it. But I almost think like Harry should have like kept the permission slip with him and intentionally made it look like he was trying to hide it in a way that Dudley would see and Dudley would bring attention to it. And then they would ask and he could word it like, oh, going into town is one of the weekend punishments they consider, like detention at my school. So like if you're really, really bad, they make you go to town on the weekends and like do manual labor at the local shops. Like he should have like made it sound like it was like a punishment to go into town or an unpleasant experience. And they would have been way more likely to sign it happily. Yeah. He just doesn't, I mean, he manipulated mildly, but he should have manipulated more. He should have leaned harder into the manipulation and lies to get what he wants. Aunt Marge is condoning corporal punishment in this. She kind of talks about just like people that she views Harry as just being just like deviant miscreants and that and how much she hopes they get beat at school yeah and they should be beaten more and that she tells people to write to the school to tell her them to like they can beat him more than what is usual at these schools and it's just like the violence in this chapter is very disturbing yeah it's a uh, it's kind of a lot yeah, Harry ends up losing control a little bit in this scene, and we see that he causes Aunt Marge to break her um, her wine goblet. Yeah, he does. He he has three sort of separate instances of using magic and breaking the underage restriction in this chapter. It's the wine glass. It's the actual Marge incident, and then also he magically opens the the closet door. Yeah, and it's just like. It's interesting the order they happen in, kind of. Like, he does the wine glass, and technically, like, that's already a crime. And then I feel like since he's done that, it's like he doesn't consciously blow her up, 
But like, he's like, oh, well, I've ar- I could already be going to jail. It could all be over already. So I might as well do what needs to be done. And then he just uses it for basic things like opening doors. And just wondering, because this is the first time we see Harry lose control while he knows that he's a wizard and actively studying magic. Because before with Dudley and the snake, like that was still like early magic that he wasn't really aware of. Yeah. But now he's definitely aware of the magic. So I'm wondering if this is are students aware this can happen? Is like Harry kind of just like aware he's losing control and causing something to happen? Or is it very unconscious? I, I don't think it was conscious to blow her up. Um, I think it was just like he wanted it so badly that it sort of happened. Like in his mind, he was probably like hearing her and being angry. And it just like was probably almost entirely like his subconscious wanted something bad to her. His conscious wanted something bad to her. And, and like, he wasn't able to like say no to himself because he truly wanted it. But I think it's interesting because it's actually like pretty impressive magic. Like we learn later on that like wandless magic is a thing. And we learn that like quiet magic, we don't say the incantation is a thing, but he somehow manages to do both of those things without ever having learned a spell that does this. So he doesn't even know what the wand movement would have been. He doesn't even know what the verbal incantation would have been. And he just makes it happen. And I wonder if this is like, supposed to be a spell he like read about somewhere or heard about before and subconsciously did or if this is like the root of all magic is like just wanting something so badly and making it happen and like this is how spells are created in motions of emotion moments of emotion like if all spells started as someone just wanting it so badly it happened and then they assigned the wand movement well i just feel like magic in children i think is supposed to be very like powerful because it's kind of unchanneled and like that's why they go to school to like properly channel it properly so bad things don't happen which is kind of what Dumbledore says happens to his sister is the fact that like because she was traumatized at a young age and she didn't wasn't able to learn how to channel her magic properly that she had like just very big bursts of magic that was very like dangerous and that's why I was thinking when Harry does all these magic like it feels like it's very powerful and intense magic like the cover bursts open for him which seems kind of intentional and Aunt March blowing up those are like feel like really big powerful things yeah so yeah, it's definitely interesting to see like how the magic is channeled and like how he seems to have like this very powerful magic and is that just like all children or like young wizards have a lot of like just intense magic and it kind of channels out as they get older and they train or if it's just because Harry is just very powerful. So the moment where Harry truly loses it. So in this book, Harry lasts a bit longer, puts up with Marge a bit more than he does in the movie. So like in in the movie, the moment Aunt Marge refers to dog breeding and sort of uses that as an excuse to refer to Harry's mother as a bitch. um, That's when Harry blows up, which totally makes sense to me in the movies. But, like, he he gets through that really well in the book. Like, that's not when he blows up. He blows up later when they're talking more about his father and, like, whether or not he was employed and stuff. And I think that's interesting because I feel like maybe I'm a bit biased, but I, I think I like Lily more and I find her more of a sympathetic character. So I get more frustrated by the, like, his mother being called a bitch than his father being called a ne'er-do-well. I don't know if Harry quite catches on to that because I'm like, I caught on to catch because like bitch is another word for like dog and so like dog breeding. So I don't think Harry's really, it's not really directed to his parents. It's just, she's basically just saying that there's something wrong with him and it's due to his parents. But, but that's the comparison, what she's saying, right? She's saying, of course, there's something wrong with Harry. It's just like dog breeding. If there's something wrong with the bitch, then there's something wrong with the pup. So she's both saying Harry's got something wrong with him because his mother's got something wrong with him, but also referring to her as a bitch, which is like she knew what it meant. And I think he knew what it meant, too, because even in the UK, it's a pretty common swear word. But I also think, too, that like this book is a lot about James and James's backstory. And we know that Harry idolizes his father. And this is kind of the book where it kind of like 
really cements like how much Harry just really wants to know more about his dad. Yeah. I just find it interesting that they're like, oh, he didn't work. I'm just wondering what the Dursleys would have known or thought if when if they knew that James was like super wealthy that like, he didn't need to work. Well, I'm sure they didn't know him well enough to know any of that. And also they don't know that Harry's got money either because I'm sure if they knew they'd find some way to convert Harry's money into muggle money and spend it. Right. But what I find hard in this chapter is that I don't find like the character of Marge very believable as a villain, I guess. Like, I feel like we don't know her backstory, but she's just a bad person. And she doesn't say things that can even like most of the time you can sort of put yourself in a bad guy's shoes and like think like this is why they think they're the good guy. Like, this is what they think they're doing. This is the problem they think they're solving. And even if it's completely wrong, you're like, okay, but this is what they're thinking. But, like, Marge isn't getting anything out of this. She's literally just, like, openly, hostily abusing an orphan child for fun. And it's entirely psychological torture. And, like, that she just gets joy from that. And I find it so hard to believe that there's any sense of her mind that even if she's deeply, deeply, like, unwell psychologically, can convince herself that she is the good guy, that she is the sympathetic character, that she is, like in the right like I don't know how she can convince herself of that after having done these things like the Dursleys are terrible people but they can go home and say we took care of this boy we didn't want we have to live with the fact that he's dangerous because he can do these things he could risk our lives blah 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 blah. we're putting ourselves at risk by being around him but we do that and that sort of justifies our behavior but like Marge can't like there's I can't see where she justifies her behavior and it makes her such a flat hard to believe character like she's just so one-dimensional yeah and she's very much a plot device kind of like a cartoonish villain like it's very much like a kid's villain that she just she just kind of says all these mean things that most people in a situation they wouldn't be that outwardly terrible if you would definitely be concealed and kind of like very passive aggressive kind of like fake like niceties and like pointed suggestions but you're kind of hiding it in some kind of like socially okay way to say it out loud but it's definitely like a plot device because harry needs to run away to see the grim and to get from like the Dursleys to the other place so they just needed some way to get him there i, I just feel like he could have just as easily have lost his shit on deadly you know or vernon or any mm-hmm. of them um I just think that it, it was a lot of time spent on a character that wasn't important except for being awful. And like, we already know Harry's life is like so bad. It just needs to be more bad. Like her straight up evil sort of pulls me out of believing it a little bit. And also like the way the Dursleys allow her to go to Harry seems counterproductive to their overall mission of like keeping Harry quiet, secret, protecting like what he's capable of. Like letting her Marge sit there and goad Harry like that. Like they have to know they're compromising everything they work so hard for. Like the secret Harry looking like a normal boy. Like it seems like such a big and reckless risk for them to allow her to keep Harry around during the whole visit, knowing what's at risk. Like it just seems negligent. I mean, they're always negligent, but it's different kind of negligence. But the way they they let Marge kind of walk all over them, like she's doing things in the kitchen at particular kind of like, glosses over but even like Vernon like Vernon's like a very like middle class and like very strict generals kind of guy and I just feel it's weird that he lets his sister like, kind of like walk all over them. like he's telling Harry to go go away or go do something and she like goes over him which I feel like maybe he's a younger brother and he kind of like or like maybe she has more money than them and she's more like wealthy so they let her kind of like take control but it just feels very odd that like the Dursleys like have very strict like roles in their lives and like they just kind of let 
this one family member walk all over them. It definitely seems like she has some type of status we don't know about. Like she talks about like there's a colonel or something who's watching her dogs while she's away, who she commands to do things sometimes. And like the amount of dogs it sounds like she has as is sounds like she's got money. So I think maybe she has like a higher social standing than them. Like she has friends in higher places. So knowing her makes them look good. So they sort of kiss her ass a lot yeah you can see that with her and like she carries herself like she's used to that like most situations she's in people are kissing her ass so she comes from such a like matter of fact i'm always correct sort of place and they just feed into her ego and like inflate her ego until harry inflates her kind of yeah exactly so harry blows up uh aunt marge and you know harry's just kind of like you know done I'm, I'm leaving and who can blame him yeah i honestly he chose violence and violence was the right option it, frankly it was the only option yeah so harry basically yeah look we said he blew up the cupboard and he got out all his his trunk and his books and he went and he packed all his stuff up and he's just kind of like i'm out of here bye <laughs> I kind of wonder how he hasn't done it sooner. Like, they don't actually take care of him. So it's not like he's personally getting anything out of being there. Like, yes, Dumbledore says you have to go home and stay with them. But, like, he has boatloads of money. Why doesn't he just, like, go take out some money from the bank and stay in a hotel all summer? Like, bye. What are you guys going to do about it? You know? Like, Harry just kind of listens to Dumbledore because we know he's, like, very much like, oh, he has to go there and stay there. But I just feel at this point, like, uh, Dumbledore should have seen this coming. Like, he knows that there's his abuse and mistreat Harry. So I feel like this has just been, like, boiling up for, like, like years yeah and then just like this one bad thing happens to harry's like you know what i don't need this harry harry's a teenager now well harry thinks he's running from the law but i'm just like harry in any other circumstances has options like he has friends to go stay with he has money he can leave yeah. he doesn't have to stay there yeah it's weird that he like hasn't considered just leaving before then like because to me, it's always weird how he just blindly listens to everything Dumbledore says and doesn't ask why. Like, I'm a questioner. I would ask why. I, like, desire to know the reason behind things, especially if they're things I don't want to be doing that I'm expected to do. And he never seems to ask why very often from Dumbledore. And, like, not that we think Dumbledore would tell him the truth or actually answer him, but the fact that he doesn't ask at all is that doesn't make sense to me, especially in things like this. Like, he doesn't know if Dumbledore's aware of how terrible his home life is. He doesn't know why Dumbledore wants him to stay home. He it, he doesn't have any reason to, like, know whether or not he thinks those reasons are worth it. Like, Dumbledore might just want him there because it's family and he thinks that being with family is good for you. And if that's it, being with family isn't good for Harry and he should leave. He just, like, doesn't... It's be, It's almost like because Dumbledore values Harry's, like, happiness and emotional state so little harry also values it so little so he's like this is awful and terrible and shitty but this is the way it has to be this is the way it should be dumbledore says it doesn't matter that i'm miserable therefore it doesn't matter and it's like he really sticks with that for most of the series thinking that like his happiness doesn't matter if people tell him to suck it up suck it up you're supposed to be suffering like and that's so sad i just feel like he listens or he doesn't question dumbledore because obviously like since he met hagrid and everyone He's just been, like, fed the Dumbledore Kool-Aid. But also, like, he's been treated so badly by so many people. So now that he has Dumbledore, who basically takes him, what he assumes, out of this bad situation, he's like, Dumbledore obviously cares about me, and he wouldn't do anything bad to me. He's not really questioning Dumbledore's intentions, because everyone said, oh, Dumbledore is the best person ever. He's basically Wizard Jesus. You can do no wrong. Wizard Jesus. That's Gandalf. One of the things I thought of was, like, I, I've always wondered why the Dursleys were never, like, not necessarily killed off, but, like, why none of the villains tried to wield them against Harry. Because they're, like, people who don't know the Dursleys personally would see them as, like, these unprotected muggles who have an emotional, like, 
relationship with Harry Potter. So it always seemed kind of weird to me that no one ever tried to kidnap the Dursleys or tried to blackmail the Dursleys or any of that. And then I kind of wondered why they were never killed off because it kind of feels like that would have been an interesting plot point for Harry to have his last ties to like his life before being magic disappear. And I guess for me that that sort of resulted in me just thinking that like the author didn't want them to ever seem sympathetic. And if they died for something that they had no part in, like the wizarding rulers, they would almost become sympathetic. Yeah, I feel like they became kind of irrelevant. Like they just weren't like a huge like plot point because there was so much else going on. But I do, I do remember reading a lot of fan fiction like before Deathly Hallows came out where some people maybe considered of them being taken hostage and stuff. And Harry could just kind of say it in Deathly Hallows where like Death Eaters will come and kill you if you stay in perfect drive. And there's kind of that, that uh, moment where like Warren doesn't really know if Harry would come and save them if they were held hostage. So... <laughs> I wouldn't. Are you kidding? There's no way. I'd be like, you guys are assholes. Sucks to be you. Another thing that was really prominent in this chapter was just like the incessant heartbreaking amount of fat phobia. Yeah, that was a lot. Like they really, really, really focus on the Dursley's size a lot, specifically with like Dudley. But like, it's one thing to like highlight that Dudley like eats a lot of food whenever he wants as a way to compare him to Harry, who's like malnourished, really skinny, doesn't get like, just for that comparison to make us understand another way in which Harry is abused and that it's not related to them having limited resources or something. Fine. Sure. Okay. Mention it once. We get it. But the repeated mentioning of Dudley having like so many chins just feels so unnecessary because I understand that they want him, the author wants him to be an unlikable character, but like, someone's weight isn't what makes them unlikable. Like there are so many personality traits of Dudley's that could be highlighted to express how unlikable he is. And his weight is just not, not that. So they just repeatedly bring it up to try and justify him being a bad person. And it just doesn't. Yeah, I feel like the series really promotes the ideology that being fat is bad as it's always the villains or the bad guys like the Dursleys or just people we're not supposed to like that are described as being fat, which equals them being ugly as well. It's kind of like, well, we see a lot of the Slytherins, how they're, how they're described versus like any other people from like the good houses are described. Like they're always described as being ugly, like specifically like Pansy Parkinson's always described as looking like a bulldog and stuff. And it's just kind of unnecessary. Like there's other ways to describe them. But it's very much a lot of in kids book, I think, especially like being ugly is associated with being like a villain. So that's kind of what it is. But yeah, the fat phobia seems just like a lot. Like I kind of forgot about how rampant it was in the earlier books. It's so, ex like, it's so much. And it's overdone. Like it's repeatedly said so many times in one chapter. Yeah. Yeah, we get that they're all like, f like bigger and we get forget that they're all like ugly. And it's just like, it's just very much like reminding us, ugly is fat, like a million times. I'm like, okay, get it. We understand. Like, it's just, it's it's gross. It's super unnecessary. It's not good writing. It doesn't express anything about the character. And it's not even like they just, it's a character trait that he eats a lot. It's not that. They talk about how just the actual, how it carries on his body so much that it's not even like they want us to know he always has snacks. Yeah. It's not that. It's literally just trying to villainize him for not being skinny and it's stupid. I also think one of the things I often overlook because I'm so worried about how horribly abused Harry is by the Dursleys, but like the way 
in which Dudley was also not treated in a healthy way whatsoever in that household. Like, he never learns to do anything for himself because his mother is always jumping in to do things for him, as is his father. And he's praised constantly, regardless of what he does or if he does anything. And he's held up as this, like, perfect golden child. And because he's constantly being told he's perfect and flawless, there's no push whatsoever for him to, like, grow as a person or try to improve himself. And so he becomes so, like, reliant on them for everything and has no ambition to not be. And, like, he's not going to develop strong social skills or a work ethic because he's so spoiled. He doesn't know what it's like to have to work for anything. And I feel like it's going to be such a really, really strong wake-up call for him when he becomes an actual adult human being and has to go out into the world. And he's going to expect everyone to see him the way the parent, his parents treated him. Like, oh, I'm perfect. Oh, I'm wonderful. Oh, everyone loves me. And, like, it's going to really kick his ass when he realizes that, like, generally in the real world, you need to have some redeeming qualities for people to like you. And, like, he'll be, like, an adult at that point who's never developed a redeeming quality because he's never had to. And, like, he's going to have a lot of, like, long-term social issues because of his parents. Yeah, it takes a while to catch up, too. Like, you see that a lot of people that have really sheltered upbringings or, like, very, like, helicopter parents, if you will, that, like, they go away to university or they go out into the working world and they're just so unprepared for adult life. Yeah. It takes a long time to, like, catch up on what everyone else has already, like, known for the last few years. I feel like of Dudley, I feel like maybe, like, he was always going to be spoiled because I just feel like they only had one child and, like, they're just that very typical, like, middle class, like, UK family. But I feel like they kind of, like, overcompensated because they didn't want Dudley to feel, like, like worse, like, he was less than Harry. So they overcompensated to make it, make sure that he was the priority. But it's just, like, they overdid it. So he's obviously, like, completely spoiled. It's affected his health and probably his um, intelligence. And stuff, but we do see that Dudley kind of comes around at the end. Like, he definitely seems to be a bit more like maybe since being away at school with other people, he's a bit more aware of how his parents were. Since in the Deathly Hollows, he seems quite like you know worried about Harry and was kind of trying to do nice things for him. So, hopefully, by the end of the series, he's kind of like is more aware of who he is as a person and making steps to be a better person. I think going away to school probably did a lot of good in that. Mm-hmm. He's not he's not his teacher's automatic favorite like he's his parents' automatic favorite. I mean, he's still going to like an upper class school. So he's still Yeah, he's going to an upper class school, but there are other upper class kids there. He's not going to be the automatic favorite of anyone. He's going to have to like earn things there. Yeah. You know, because I'm sure if it's a fancier boarding school, he's not even he's not the richest one there. They're just like an upper middle class family. So there's going to be people who have more of everything he has that he knows of to offer. So he's going to have to at some point learn to develop some sense of skills or personality traits or like have something to offer because that's sort of him being pushed into the real world and him realizing that like you got to have something to offer people if they're going to want to be around you, you know, whether that be just being good or interesting or smart or helpful. And he was none of those things previously. Mm-hmm. Dursley sure know how to abuse children. It's like two opposite ends of the bad parenting scale. Yeah, honestly, how not to parent. Yeah, just don't do anything they do. Do you have any closing remarks for this chapter? Um, My closing remarks are, besides flexing that the author can write intolerably verbally abusive characters, I don't know what the point of Aunt Marge was. It could have just as easily have been something Dudley said. Um, So I just don't entirely understand why they bothered spending a whole chapter on her, kind of, when we already have backstory about 
the other Dursleys and it could have been one of them. Maybe it's just because there's so many things I like in Harry Potter that I would have liked more of. And it's such a like loss of a chapter kind of. Like I'm like, okay, yes, another person to abuse Harry. I don't know. I feel like they could have skipped all of her. I do wonder if like Aunt Marge was kind of like the like the beginnings of developing Umbridge yeah. because this is like very early on in the series. And so yeah, she doesn't feel very developed, but we know that Umbridge is probably like one of like the best villains because she's so awful. She's so awful. And Marge is awful in a similar way. I think like with this amount of time spent on one character who never shows up again and isn't really prevalent again, I feel like maybe the author intended for her to come back again and like have a more significant like show up again and we'd be like, oh her again, oh no. Um and then just didn't. Yeah, but I'm just very excited to see Harry's like running away and escaping the law as he thinks. I'm ready for the night bus. Yeah, I'm very excited for the night bus. I love Harry just like, you know, thinking he's a criminal on the run. It's very funny. Yeah, he's like, I've done the worst thing imaginable. (laughs) And he's not talking about blowing up Marge. It's just the wine glass. He's like, that was their good crystal. Yep, he's going to run away because he thinks he's an outlaw, which is really funny compared to like Sirius, who is actually an outlaw. That's like Harry Potter, like criminal, 13 years old, off with his head. Thanks for listening to the episode of Pod Revisited, and we'll be back next time to discuss Chapter 3 of Prisoner of Azkaban, The Night Bus. Love it. Can't wait. Don't forget to listen where you listen and download if you download and like if you like it. And if you'd like to comment and tell us we're terrible at what we do. Yeah, we're on social media at Pod Revisited, and you can also email us at podrevisitedpodcast at gmail.com for any theories or thoughts or things you want us to talk about for Prisoner of Azkaban, and we'll be back next time. Bye!